Good morning and welcome to all of you who are watching um, this online sermon from wherever you're watching. Some of you may be watching in your home with your family. Some of you are watching here at the building. We're recording this morning from the AFC Center. Uh, we recorded from here last week. We're going to be recording from here next week. That's largely due to so many students coming back. This is when they're starting back because Howdy Week has started. You've been able to tell that they're moving into town. Um, and in regard to our students, I want to remind parents or students, uh, parents of students, who are going to be here in the fall at Blinn or at A&M about SOAR. It is our beginning of the year event that has been taking place for years. It is the best thing that we do in regard to trying to connect new incoming students to people and other students who are on that faith journey toward Jesus. We're doing a lot of other things as well. So you can check out Aggies for Christ on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, website. There are other things taking place during these Howdy Week days. SOAR on August the 22nd and the 23rd, though, is one night overnight. It's a retreat, student orientation and retreat. It's uh, games, fun, worship, making new friends, just wanted to remind you, because we still have time for you to sign up if you've not already signed up. Another reason that I'm recording from the gym, AFC Center, today for the 16th is the day that you're watching this, the 16th, is also my daughter's wedding day. Aaron is marrying Gabriel Britton this afternoon at 5 o'clock, so right now, and while you're watching this, I'm out at Dobbin, a little town between here and Conroe, Stacking chairs, putting out chairs, putting out tables, doing all the things that you need to do to get ready for a celebration. We're excited. We're excited for them. We're excited for us. Um, we're excited because of Gabriel marrying Aaron. We love their relationship. We love his family. We're looking forward to seeing um, extended family and friends this afternoon. Last week, we talked about Moses. He was um, trying to convince a relative, remember, to go with him on their journey further into the, uh, toward the promised land. This was even though Moses had had already a couple of years of difficulty with God's people. He was going to, had to expect that there was going to be further difficulty, but he was so assured and so confident in God fulfilling his promises to his people that he wanted this relative to go with him, and he was just counting on it. He knew it was going to happen. We loved that faith even in the midst of previous and anticipated difficulties. In Psalm 27 and at the end of John chapter 16, we see both David and Jesus use this phrase in regard to our, our attitude and our uh, emotions, maybe feelings in regard to what we're going through. Psalm 27, there's, he's praying for deliverance from enemies and violence, but at the end he says, take heart because he's going to see the goodness of the Lord. At the end of John, after Jesus is saying, I'm leaving you, etc., etc., he says, take heart to his apostles. One version, remember, said, be of good cheer. An optimism, a hope that good things were in store. So last week we talked about faith, 
This week we're going to talk about hope. So faith is how I define it for myself so that I can understand it. Is this assurance, trust that God will do what he said he was going to do and that his promises are for sure. Hope I see as an anticipation, almost an excitement of a future realization of the good things that he has in store for me because I'm one of his children and he loves me. An excitement, maybe a peaceful insurance, anticipation, I've said already. Think about it maybe like this. So a father comes home, he sees his son, and he tells his son, hey, tomorrow I'm taking you to Six Flags. And so the son has faith that that's going to happen because he trusts the words of his dad. His dad in the past has done what he said he was going to do. So he has a trust, a faith, a knowledge that that will happen. But hope, closely linked but distinct, is the excitement, the anticipation that you feel in something that hasn't happened, but you know it is. For a small child, if you remember, if you've been a parent and you've passed on some good news, they're going to go to Six Flags, wherever. You know, it might be squeals or jumping up and down, um, however they would express excitement. And we, of course, don't do that. Um, having We've sort of lost that sort of innocence and uh, sort of sense of amusement, excitement expressed in that way. But yet we still feel hope. It's part of what we should feel. So we're going to look at hope this morning, and we're going to start off with a phrase in Romans that is talking about Abraham, and it's a little bit of a quirky phrase. This is it. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. So the first sentence or so again, against all hope, Abraham, in hope, your version might say, hoping against hope. So, first, what does that mean? I think of it like this. I'm hoping even though it's not happened. Um, I'm anticipating something that will happen, and I'm assured that it's going to take place. I'm hoping even though maybe common sense says it's not going to happen. I'm hoping, even though the world around me might think I'm crazy and hoping it. I'm hoping, even though there is a question about whether it could actually even be reality. There's different ways to express that sort of hoping against hope. But here he was hoping when it seemed senseless or unreasonable to hope. And what was he talking about here, Paul, in regard to Abraham? Well, we see it in Genesis 17. This is the passage which explains that God is promising Abraham and Sarah a son. Well, Abraham is about 100, Sarah is about 90, 99, something like that, or 90s and 100s, and um, they're being promised that they're going to have a child. And so Abraham laughs, remember, laughs. 
But in just a few chapters over, Isaac is born. So that's the passage that this is referring to. That hoping against hope, Abraham believed that he would be the father of many nations as God had promised that he would be. So it was an anticipation, excitement. Could this be the case? That I would have a son? And that I would be the father of many nations? I love the idea again of Moses having faith even in difficulties and Abraham having hope even though it seemed ridiculous. I thought about hope in regard to 1 Peter. So let's look at a couple of passages. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us something that I want you and I to ask ourselves a question about. The verse says, But in your hearts... Revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So let's just sort of play it out like it, the verse might indicate. If someone were to come to you and go, hey, you seem to have hope. What's the basis of your hope? And what would you say? What would be your answer if someone said that you were um, clearly having a person who possesses hope? You're a person who possesses hope. What would you say is, well, give me the reason. Why are you feeling that way? What is there to be hopeful about? What would you say? Well, we're actually supposed to be able to give some answer. And so a later passage, actually, no, an earlier passage at the very first part of 1 Peter answers that question. So it says this, Praise be to the God and Father of uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. The only reason you have hope is Jesus Christ. And our hope is a little bit unreasonable, it seems to some, because we have hope in something that's supernatural, the resurrection of Jesus. We don't put our hope in humanity or humans. We've all had evil done to us, and we've all done evil things. We've all been victims, and we've all been the villain. We don't put our hope in who we see or another person. Our only lasting landing place for hope is Jesus Christ, who sits at the right hand of God, who reigns, who is going to come back, judge the living and the dead, and set all things right and make all things new. That is the only place for our hope. And that's what this passage says. You have a living hope through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I know I have an inheritance waiting for me because of Jesus. That's the reason for our hope. I was thinking about this verse also, or this hope also because of this 
in this, just a couple verses past, it says this in chapter 1. In this, all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So those two passages together, 1 through 3 through 5, you have hope in Jesus. 6 and 7, you're going to suffer trials. One of the things that I want to uh, dispel is this idea that because we have faith, and you know this already, because we have faith and because we have hope, that we're walking around with a smiley face all the time. It's just not true. I said before, we've all had evil done to us, and we've all committed evil. We've all been the victim because someone has done us in bad and evil ways, and we have been the villain because we have committed evil against other people. So we don't put our hope in each other. We put our hope in Jesus. But we also know that we live in a broken world, and there's trials, and there's suffering. It's guaranteed. But the trials and the suffering that we experience all has purpose. Or at least I'd like to say that it does here this morning from this perspective. For me, trials drive me toward God. They make me enter into depths of that relationship with him that I don't experience without the trials. We know that it's going to prove our faith genuine, these trials. But these trials that we have don't cause us to lose faith or cause us to have no hope. That's why we take heart. There is this idea that this happy face is something that should be expected and that when we're experiencing or feeling hopeful or faithful, we would have this happy face. That sounds so elementary, a happy face, a smiley face. But it's yet how we often react or, or our, that's our conclusion when we think of ourselves as hope-filled or faith-filled. There is uh, going to be a lot of questions when we don't see clearly. When faith doesn't reveal itself as we know it won't because it is, what, in things that are unseen. And in hope of an anticipated reality. The truth is our lives are full of questions that will never be answered. The when will it come to pass? Where will it be? Why is it this way? How is it going to happen? Why is this taking place in my life like this? Why are these things happening? But the message from the Bible is from all of the people we know. Moses, Abraham, David, Jesus, John, Paul, Peter, name them, Stephen. That hope and faith are there regardless of circumstances. That's just part of what it is that, that makes us be living a Christian life. If I'm running toward Jesus, I'm going to be bruised and battered and knocked 
along the path. But that idea that I like is that makes me run harder toward the only one who offers any supernatural hope. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to put hope in natural things. I want it to land firmly in supernatural beings. God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. That's where I want my faith to be. So I was thinking about this in regard to the when and the why and the where and what's going on, and it made me think about Joseph. So, Joseph, in chapter 50, okay, okay, he's been sold into slavery, all right? He's uh, in a foreign country. He's falsely accused. He's imprisoned, separated from family. There had to be a lot of questions. He had to think this was unjust. And for 30 plus years, there really wasn't an answer about why this all had happened. Then in Genesis 50, all bunches happened. He's been reunited with his brothers. He's been reunited with his dad and Isaac. And this is what it says. But Joseph said to them, this is to his brothers, because his brothers now, the father's passed away, and they're fearful that now Joseph is going to have vengeance on him. He's going to get his revenge. But Joseph said to them, them being brothers, don't be afraid. I, am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me years ago when you sold me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Years later, maybe standing maybe from this sort of uh, figurative mountaintop, Joseph was able to look and go, all of this that I've gone through for years was to accomplish this. God's meandering way of building character and bringing his purposes to fruition calls on us because of that, his ways, is just to remain faithful and hopeful. It's to take heart. Another passage I want to show you, which really has implications for me when I talk to the students, and so I'm talking to you now, and we're going to make that application. It's this verse in Hebrews that we use often about attending church. Fine. Great. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he, to the hope that we profess, for he who is promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So this take heart phrase, this keep your hope, this maintain your faith, this journey we're on is not a solitary one. Um, spiritual formation is a community project. And so we have to depend on one another. So that's why we don't isolate and we don't withdraw and we don't try to go it alone. I heard someone say, because of today's concurrent environment, when there are um, sad pictures on the TV screen or on your computer screen about protests and riots, they were saying we should have a riot of good works and love amongst us as we spur one another on. And as we encourage one another by saying, take heart, hey, take heart, keep the path, keep on the journey, take steps, small steps, little steps, just keep going the right way. I love that because, see, 
I love meeting together, not, not because I think necessarily you need me, but I need you. And I say that to the students, and I'm saying it to all of us who are grown up. We need each other. This is a community effort. This is a community movement. There aren't examples in the Bible of people who just were running to Jesus or with Jesus just out of just solitary, never having to have any community. They had to depend on one another, and that's what we do with our hope. And it makes me more hopeful and builds me up inside when I get to be with you. At times are difficult now. It's hard. We're not even all together watching this sermon. But in little small ways, we have to forge away and carve out possibilities for encouraging one another as a community. Physically distanced, sure, but not necessarily socially distanced because you can reach out, we can be social, text me, I'll call you, we'll wave. But we're all together. Hopeful in an anticipation of what's promised ahead. Faithful because we're assured that God keeps his word. And we all move together in this faith journey, taking care of each other. A movement, a riot, if you will, of good works and love.